Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Don't Tell Me The Score, the podcast that uses sport to explore life's bigger questions. My name is Simon Mundy, and each week I sit down with an expert from the biggest sporting names in the world to Buddhist monks, neuroscientists, psychologists, and philosophers. We discuss a theme that tells us something insightful and important about life and how best to live it. From the importance of self-acceptance to facing addiction and developing resilience, right through to getting your circadian rhythms in sync and how to sleep better. Sport is a metaphor for life. And in this podcast, I aim to prove that right. I always like hearing from you. So the best way to get in touch is via my website, simonmundy.com, or I'm at Simon Mundy on social media. In this episode, I'm talking to the founder of the Sporting Chance Clinic, who also happens to be an Arsenal and England legend. It is, of course, Tony Adams. And the theme of this conversation is addiction. Hi, Tony. Hi, <laughs> mate. How you doing? <laughs> he laughs because we've actually literally just been having a long chat, but we've just started recording. Uh, thank you very much for coming on Don't Tell Me The Score. Pleasure. Pleasure, mate. A pleasure to have you here. It really is. Truth Last be- time I was in this kind of environment i was in floods of tears i just lost my mother and did did oh. desert island discs yes, and I've uh, listened uh, and i was just in floods and floods of tears i just yeah. lost her a couple of years to bone yeah. cancer and she didn't deserve that and no. the sweet caroline the music came on yeah. it's very emotive and uh, yeah hopefully uh, well let's see who knows i've been a bit emotional lately feel free this is a safe <laughs> space to okay here, good i promise I like you that, that. <laughs> um so how are you uh that's difficult at times um Today I'm having a great day, to be honest. I've been to a lot of meetings recently and uh, working my program, and, and, and life's quite wonderful. I'm very grateful at the moment. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in a lot of pain out there, and uh, I'm just so privileged to have fantastic relationships with all my family, and you know, um, I'm just living the dream, really. You know, it's just a, I'm so I'm at peace. You know, I've got plenty of 
serenity in my life and I'm very comfortable in my own skin and uh, and I don't ever thought that I would actually say that but I, I am today and uh, I'm good enough for me which is uh, obviously I suffered as a kid uh, through self-esteem and self-loathing and, and to actually be in a place where I am today you know coming up 23 years without a drink to be actually calm and peaceful and, and kind of it don't matter what you think of me it's about what I think of myself and yeah. uh, I have to tell myself that quite often so it's great to be here I can do my world is 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 open I'm free I can do whatever I want I can come here and chat to you I can do anything and I can say no as well so mm. it's uh, it's uh, yeah it's great to be here <laughs> I mean there's a lesson even in that isn't there no matter how low you go you can always get back on top as you are yeah, I, don't, I don't know. I just, my journey, you know, it's my, my story, I drank for 12 years, 11 and a half, those I didn't want to, you know. I never liked the uh, taste. I, I loved the effect, you yeah. know. It was, it, it suppressed all my thoughts and feelings, and I, I could not do that, you know. I was a child emotionally, yeah. and uh, the bruise just suppressed it all. And, yeah. Um, and it took me to a, a very dark place, you know, and, and I said, you know, I'm, I, spending a lot of time in pubs and clubs so you marry a barmaid you know and you know like attracts like and she was very sick as well as I, I was and uh, it was all a bit volatile and a bit it's a bit sad and, and you, I was personally completely trapped you know and I didn't know how to get out and my solution was to booze every time yeah. which was making it worse and it was going round and round and round to thank god I, I kind of I was 29 years of age and uh, I, I, I broke down and I started to cry the first time in my life and it was uh, a moment of clarity, a moment, spiritual moment, call it what you want. It was just something shifted. I, I asked something inside of me, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't do this anymore. And uh, found my way out, you know, mm. through the rooms of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and one-to-one uh, -one therapy. You know, I still see the same therapist I saw, you know, 23 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I've learned a little bit about myself, a bit of education around addiction and around the illness, and uh, leaves me with, um, you know, my one-to-one my -one therapy looks at all the other stuff, you know, my depression, the anxieties, all yeah. the fears that's in any everybody's life happens, doesn't it? You know, my, my both my parents died of cancer and it was really painful but I didn't pick up a drink and I and I shared it in a safe space like yeah. I'm doing today it's a safe space yeah Listen, I promise you you have my words Tony alright now you've basically told your whole story virtually there but we're still we're going to we're going to we're going to rewind just a little bit a lot of people who listen to Don't Tell Me Score aren't necessarily football fans rather than talk about you know, the number of England appearances or you know, winning titles over three decades. I just think it's summed up by the fact that you've got a statue outside <laughs> Arsenal. Yeah, I'm very honoured that they, they put that statue up and very proud. Um, I worked hard. I had a set of skills um, and uh, it was a fantastic club and they and they liked what I did and I, I loved what they did. And, and, you know, football was my first drug of choice. You know, yeah. I suppressed all the, the same as I did with alcohol, suppressed all my thoughts and feelings in football. I was free as a bird. It's what I did. You know, I ran away to the football pitch. It was only one place in my life at that time I felt comfortable, yeah. you know, and I was pretty good. Like I say, I got given a, a set of tools. Uh, I could head the ball. I can kick a few people and uh, and the crowd kind of liked that. So I kicked a few more um, <laughs> and they liked that even more. And, uh, you know, 22 years. There's pivotal moments in that, you know, 13 trophies, 10, you know, every decade. I don't think they'll beat that one. There's a few weird kind of quiz questions and the the... 
captain over the f- three uh, decades, yeah. uh, winning the league title. I don't think we're ever going. You have to be very young to be a captain, uh, and then you have to be a, a team that's winning titles. How old were you when you became captain? Twenty, yeah, Twenty. first time. So um, and I, re- I lifted the league trophy at twenty-one and straddled the decades, eighty-nine yeah. and two thousand and two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got lucky in that respect. But to win it over three decades, I don't think that Ryan Giggs has done it as a player, but not as captain. Yeah. Um, I don't think that'll get beat. I've played at Wembley more than another person, the old Wembley, which uh, I'm proud of. Peter Shilton was 58, I think I got 59. And the one that I'm not... Well, I don't really care about um, There's uh, international goals. I scored in 1988 and actually didn't play for England in the World Cup after that 18 months. It was not maybe something to do with the, the amount of booze that I was drinking off of the pitch at the time. But um, I scored in 88 and I, did, I scored again in 2000. It's 12 years, I think three months and about 16 days, I think. Record in between international goals. Oh, that's a good pub one. That is a good pub one. Yeah, worry, watch it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm right, surprised mate. it's safe. It's safe. He's got no... Uh, He's got no power over me today, you know, yeah. I can go where I want. Yeah. So you talk about football being your first drug of choice. So let's just rewind again. You know, you had this wonderful career and wonderful gift, but it was a drug of choice because you were so full of fear as a child. And you've talked about part of that being, for example, an academic thing, you know, being scared of speaking publicly in, in yeah. classrooms. But as well, it sounded like your um, your mum in particular kind of like allowed you to... To well, they didn't understand. I didn't understand, really. We, we weren't a family that sat around the table and talked about our thoughts and feelings. You know, it wasn't done. So, you know, when I remember a lesson, a reading lesson, and the book's going around the class, and I'm sitting there, I know now, having a panic attack. You know, I didn't know at the time. At the mm. time, it was just, oh, help, help. Mm, mm. And the book's coming around. And, and, of course, I'm in such a state, when I read it, um, I said, I got it all wrong, you know, and I said wheelie instead of really, and everyone laughed. They're laughing at me, and that kind of crippled me yeah. inside, you know. But I didn't go home that day and say, oh, I've had a panic attack in school. <laughs> I didn't do this reading list. I didn't do that. that. One, I didn't do it, and maybe they didn't understand either. They come from a, you know, a, a, a family above them that was very, you know, I suppose sick. As well, you know, my grandfather was was a was a drunk mm. like me, um, and uh, I think they passed it on. Of course, you know, so you, we only learn by that. And um, so, yeah, what what did, what did you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, being full of fear, and actually, you touched on something interesting there about about patterns. You know, mm. and you talk about your grandfather, who I know was quite an abusive man, and. And then your mother and father, and you've talked about, you know, your mum saying that, um, you know, the reason she was with your dad was because he had a job and he and he didn't hit her, which, you know, is very much a mm. sort of a sign of the times. And, and thoughts and feelings weren't sort of spoken about. No, you kind of bottled all. them up, didn't you? You know, tough men, you know, you do get up, man up, get them with it, you know, go and hit him or go, you know, mm. you don't. I didn't understand. I couldn't identify. I couldn't label any feeling, you know, yeah. through my teens and into my 20s. You know, I didn't know if it had come along and hit me in the face. I couldn't verbalize it. Yeah. I just acted. Yeah. You know, just acted out with all this stuff, you know. So if I was resentful to it, I pretty much told them, you know, or, yeah. or I kind of talked about it behind their back, you know. And then the behavior, I did a lot of bad stuff when I was drunk, you know, when I was sick. Funny enough, 
since I've been well, I've not done no bad stuff. Um, but at that point, because you're doing bad stuff, it makes you feel, you know, this is not me. And I feel so the shame yeah. comes up, the guilt comes up. It goes round in circle. And, and I just went, kept on running down to the pub to cure that. And uh, it's not a good, uh, no. for me, it's not a good uh, not a good idea. As, as the bottling up of the thoughts and feelings wasn't a good idea, you know, with even without the boots, you know, because I know that the solutions within me, you know, that's the problem. It's nothing to do with the alcohol. Of course. You know, well, you didn't like booze, did you? Exactly. So I loved the effect. So that was the reason I was doing it because I didn't like the thoughts and feelings. I didn't like me. Yeah. You know, and that's what I've just, uh, over these last two decades, I've kind of got to know me. And by getting to know me, I think you can understand a little bit about your parents. And I, and I said amends and I, you know, they've both passed away now, but when they were alive, I've got a great example, actually, my dad, and you can see the kind of mentality. Because on his deathbed, you know, I remember going in there and still it was like, you know, if I'd hugged him, you know, we never hugged. It was like a shake, goodbye, Mr. Adams, you know, shake of the hand, yeah. good type of stuff. But yeah, yeah I, and I think it, for me to have gone in there and just hugged him would have been maybe a bit cruel. Really? It might have been a bit cruel for him because he wasn't that... He couldn't deal with it. I don't think he could have... Well, he might have been... He didn't have no choice. He was... He was more, I know, more but emotionally. Up, emotionally. Yeah. To have his son go, oh, get off of it. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. You know, give me a hug, bloody hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't do that, son, Jesus. And it, get, so, it gets easier, though, generation to generation. I mean, for example, like when I hug my dad, right, his head's right over here. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, it's quite funny. It's great. But you... And you talk about, you know, you shaking your dad had on his deathbed but also you've talked about holding your son's hand when mm. he was feeling vulnerable at a soccer camp oh, so you really sort of sweet. see how you know generation to generation it does soften doesn't it it, it does I'm not sure it would have done if I continue to drink alcohol right. I don't yeah. think so I you would needed have, to recover to be out you know to you point. seem like a, a emotionally and uh, mentally quite put together human being <laughs> for me I don't know but yeah. just my That's very opinion kind. <laughs> um but there's not a lot of people that are that conscious. And I don't think a lot of people are in touch with their feelings. Or yeah. I don't know if that's the right phrase. It's like they come up and attack me rather than yeah. get in touch with them. So I, it does. I, th I feel like I've put a stop to the next generation, for uh -huh. sure. I feel like the Adams family have, have gone, right, that's it. You know, with my, um, we do talk to people. You know, we do talk and it really helped me get in a wife that was emotionally and mentally together as well. You know, mm. she says we, we can only deal with one one nutter in the family. You know, it's all we can deal with. So it, it's it's great that she is uh, a rock emotionally and mentally. And it's what I, attracted me to her, I think, yeah. um, spiritually as well. I think it was just a, um, one of those moments like my... Back in the day when I hit rock bottom, you know, it, it was one of those moments where you go, wow, yeah. you know, this, the is, this, is, this is something yeah. else. This yeah. is not down to me. And she was definitely one of those. And, and, and all my five kids and one stepdaughter and two grandchildren now that, you know, we, we, you know, I'm here, I'm present, I'm conscious, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking about stuff and yeah. they seem to be all doing all right. Yeah. You know, they and don't. So at times I project my stuff, my old stuff onto them um, and 
and and get scared for them, think that they're going to be like me and they're going to be in pain for all, for all their lives and they're going to, oh, no, all that stuff that, you know, and I dealt with when I got clean and sober, I, I, you know, because I run everything, you know, it's all about fear, face everything and recover. And I used to F everything like and yeah. run. That's what I used to do. But now I face everything and recover. So I like that. Fear, yeah, that's a good. That's a. That's I a good. did. I run from everything as a kid. You know what I mean? I didn't do my exams. I couldn't do life. I couldn't do girlfriends. I couldn't do nothing. I run to the football pitch and then I run to the to the pub. Yeah, uh, it was all I did. And now, you know, I hit bottom, in a nutshell, and kind of went right. Actually, let's face everything. Let's start opening my mouth for yeah. first things first. You know, and it took me a long time. Throw my mouth now. I can't shut up. So, which is good for a podcast, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you talk about running away from stuff, and you, you ran away from the classroom and girls and so on and so forth. And obviously, booze is a way to run away from thoughts and feelings when, when you reflect on it. But but football did exactly the same thing. It's a healthy addiction. To be fair, you know the athleticism that's needed for high level sport. It's not balanced. You know, it's not on balance. That's interesting. Job. It, it's very difficult to that that level of uh, athleticism to keep going. Uh, it has to have some effect. You know, so if a lot of them now, you know, I ain't spoken about the sporting chance now, but we've helped nine hundred, and a lot of them have got one-to-one therapists now. They're a safe place where they share. You know, and and we've got a whole department. We've got two hundred, over two hundred now counsellors across the country where. People are actively speaking and, and, and helping them emotionally and mentally to be able to physically go onto the pitch and do their stuff. You know, and the support network now is better than ever. When I sobered up at 96, mate, we weren't talking about this stuff. I was no. the weirdo on the block, you know what I mean? Right. Oh, Jesus, Adams is talking about He's away with the fairies. He's, you know, he's gone, he's, he's out to lunch, as we used to say. But more and more often now, it's kind of accepted and, and that started really with education. We did education first thing, the education department with the Sporting Chance and went into Man United with uh, Sir Alex. He let me in and I uh, spoke to the whole lot of the um, players at that point and sowed seeds. And you talked about stopping the next generation. And I think we've done that. And the mentors that I had was gamblers and, and drinkers, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. and we've put a stop that and we've gone into the clubs and actively said, look, this is available. Yeah. You have education first. You've got one-to-one -one therapy. The wheels have completely come off. We've got yeah. a clinic um, down the road that, that can sort you out. And we've got a 24-hour helpline as well. So, you know, the support network is there for them now emotionally and mentally yeah. you know, to, to be able to for them guys to perform and yeah. they don't have to go to the, the place where I went. Yeah. So f football was an addiction for you. Drink was an addiction for you. You, you hit that moment. You had a six-week bender after the 96 Euros and then you, you had that sort of moment where you, you've talked about it almost in sort of spiritual terms. You know, you just knew. You just knew that it was kind of over. Similar to when you met your wife. And, and something that struck me about when you met your wife that you've spoken about is when you met her family. And you were so overcome with how loving and open and everything they were. And, and that felt, it, it sounded to me when I've heard you talk about this, that it, it felt quite different. Yeah, the, the contrast with your own family w was quite stark. Uh, yeah, I think life was very different. You know, I was, I was crying 
at the drop of the hat, you know. <laughs> I was watching films on TV all of a sudden, and I, you know, from a man that never cried until he's 29, I get completely broken. And, and the greatest thing uh, about recovery is you get your thoughts and feelings back. And the worst thing about recovery is you get your thoughts and feelings back. So um, my experience with my wife's family was, wow, you know, and, and it took me a long... I had six years playing football, which I'm eternally grateful for. And a lot of people don't go to their bottom and still have a career, you know. So I was lucky enough that I got off at, the, at that level and was able to go back and win two doubles and uh. play free as a bird, emotionally, mentally, physically, exploded every weekend for the fantastic Arsenal Football Club and loads of trophies. It's just great, you know, I felt alive and I used to go to meetings after after matches because emotions, you know, win or lose, you know, those were the times that I used to go and get on it. Um, and it was uh, it was it was great. I, you know, like I say, very grateful. But I set the charity up in two thousand while I was still playing and I felt a responsibility, really, to show other people the way. I wrote "Addicted," that yeah. was which led to Sporting Chance. Yeah, yeah. four hundred thousand copies that sold, and it, it's. I think it was meant to be again. Another, yeah. another. Yeah. What, what was was there a moment when you thought I'm going to write this book? Yeah. Um, Can you remember it? Can you? Yeah, I was it? going through Alcoholics Anonymous, um, uh, going to regular meetings, and part of the twelve-step program is step four. It's a yeah. searching and uh, a moral uh, a moral inventory. Oh, well, there you go. You know it more than me. You've done some work <laughs> and done some study, haven't you? Um, and I did one privately, and in five step five, you give it to someone else, someone that you trust. And let it go. You know, all the stuff, all yeah. the bad stuff that you did wasn't you, it was because you were sick, you yeah. know. And I wrote it all up and went, ooh, well. Yeah. <laughs> ooh, it's, prison it's intensive care. And it's supposed to be th- cathartic. Is it, is it called the shift? Isn't it? Well, like you're that, supposed yeah. to let it go. Yeah. I didn't feel the effect of that. And right. one of the reasons I felt I didn't feel the effect of it is because a lot of my step four stuff was done in public. Right, and I felt like I had to maybe make an amends or clean up. You're only sick as your secrets. I thought it still had some stuff out there that you know. I looked at it's not going anymore, but I was on the front pages of the News of the World every other week for for doing this and doing that, and I just thought I needed to go back into the public domain and go there. You go, no no skeletons anymore. I knew kind of knew it was kind of ready for and then the sun said oh you know we serialize it in the sun and you can get quarter of a million quid when the days when you'd get a lot of money for serialization so after tax one six seven something like rings a bell i gave to the sporting chance and uh, i set up my therapist there um and made him available for other sports people mm. and sporting chance was born what are you more proud of, your sporting career or sporting chance? I've got to say both. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I, I think both of them are God-given, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I'm very lucky to be blessed in, in both departments for some reason. Um, you know, football's given me everything, even the sporting chance, you know, Um I, you know, there's nothing like, you know, I would have been dead. And so I've got to put the charity first because at 29, I'm out of the game. I'm gone. You know, I was in that place. We call it the jumping off point where 
I didn't know how to kill myself, but I didn't know how to live. You know, I didn't know, I didn't want to live, but I didn't know how to kill myself. And I'm just stuck there going, bewildered, you know, bewildered, confused, terror, all there, you know, jumping off point. And I didn't think I was going to make 30. So actually sitting here with you, 52, you know, a few years down the road. Looking good, by the way. Well. Thanks, pal. 52. Yeah, doing all right. Yeah, yeah you do. You Sun's out, guns out. Yeah, that's it. You, know, you, look, you, look, you look good, I have to um, say. I, I'd, I've got to say sporting chance because it saved my life, yeah. you know, in effect from the recovery. And it reminds me, you see, because people say, do you, do you still go? Do you still go? Yeah, of course I do because people were in there when I turned up. And if I don't go back... Who's going to pass the message on? You know what I mean? See, I've got a responsibility to keep going back. And it reminds me what it was like because I am so, so far away from that point at the moment. It's like, did that happen? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I mean, it's been a hell of a journey. Scared child, right? <laughs> Footballers an escape, a mega successful career alongside a mega productive boozing career, if you want to put it that. You hit that, <laughs> hit that falling off point, and then you know your life completely changed. And then set up Sporting Chance, and you not only have you saved yourself, but you you know you've really saved a lot of people on the way. So that pain surely's been worth it for because you know you might not have enjoyed it at Absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Lo- Every single minute of that pain's got me to where I am today. So I wouldn't swap it for the world. And it's no, important it's to remember my- that, isn't it? You know, like pain, you know, we, we may, we, ah, we want to escape pain, but actually it may end up being one of your greatest this blessings. Too, this too shall pass. Yeah. This too shall pass. And if you can sit with it, hallelujah. You know, it's just, uh, it's so freeing. You know, that irritable, bored, lonely, you know, depressive kind of, mentality that I used to kind of run away from or try to change it actually has got no power over me today yeah that's quite powerful yeah doesn't mean it's not there it just doesn't doesn't control you absolutely yeah absolutely in a nutshell so you you know a lot about addiction Tony you've 
suffered with it. You've overcome it, quote unquote. You've lived with it. You've helped other people deal with it. So first question I have for you, for someone who doesn't get addiction, what does it mean to you? Is it just a way to escape thoughts and feelings? Uh I think I think you know it's very complicated. If you want to talk to the doctors, uh, and this is the doctors, not me. They think it's genetic, and thirty nine percent of it, um, and it's not one genes. They all collide. Um, then, for me, it's a bit of um, nature and nurture, um, postcode, peers. Who do you go back? Do you go back to an estate? Are your peers all taking drugs? Um, have you had trauma? Sure, yeah. uh, as a kid, um, psychological, biological, sociological, wow. environment, yeah. genetics, put it in a blender and mix it all up, there's your addict. Right, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of things uh, that we are, can get addicted to. I think there's some, you know, if I go back to my program again, it's people, places, things, situations. And when I'm in my head... Um, they can all become obsessive. So mm -hmm. I think there's a mental illness there. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, and we need to put it and categorise it as a mental Ill health, uh, mental illness. Then we might be able to get funding in different uh, places. Mm. Um, it's emotional. Yeah, you know the feelings, the uncomfortable feeling. yeah. feelings that come up that we don't like. Fear, Fear anxiety. Exactly. And for me, that starts there and goes to the head. Yeah. To be because we come out the womb with feelings. We don't come out intellectualizing about feelings. Yeah. You know, we're animals and Every everyone everyone's sensitive at, at their core, aren't they? You know, you don't yeah. see you don't see a, a baby who's So who's, when you get fear you go to your head for yeah. me. Disappear so, up into thinking. On that score then, do you think you can get almost addicted to thinking? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we live in our heads. Most people live in their heads nowadays and uh I don't know about your head, but I don't. I don't want to live in mine. I come up with some yeah. really no, no, strange think... thoughts. Um, but I also think there's a, you know, I said mentally and emotionally. But I also think there's a, a there's a physical side of this illness as well. You know, where we don't look after ourselves um, enough, and that kind of it plays the other side. So, uh, and then if you're the last core of it, if you want to analyse it, which. It's not necessary for me today, hallelujah, but I think there's a spiritual, yeah. you know, AA, for instance, a 12-step program is a spiritual solution to a mental and emotional problem. You know, that's what I understand it to be. People who go to AA, NA, all, all the 12-step meetings, people aren't religious or spiritual, but... From what I know of it, people leave with a spiritual side, with a, an appreciation well, of, of my experience the spiritual of, element um, of life. Of the addict, they've got huge egos and low self-esteem. Yeah, that's been my and and half of the twelve-step program is a right sizing, uh, like making you right sized in the program, and and it's an ego deflating twelve-step program. And what we try to do is that you're no better, no worse than any other human being. Yeah. And I think the higher power, spirituality, call it what you want, group of drunks, some people use G-O-D, group of drunks in the room. What's important, I think, that it's not you. You know, the ego, ego needs to be punctured. It yeah. needs to be punctured. 
and you have to get something, nature, and everybody's higher powers differently. Yeah. It's unique to that person, but it's not you, and it's bigger than you. It's more powerful than you, and it's a right-sizing process, you know, so you stay humble. Yeah. Um, Bill Wilson, who set it up with, you know, co-founder, said, uh, you know, live usefully, walk humbly under the grace of God, and that's why I, my true ambition is today to do. So it's surrendering to something, you know, bigger than yourself. That's a definition of spirituality, I think, that a lot of people can live with. And you mentioned there kind of, it's not you. The ego, you've talked on the ego there, you know, big egos, low self-esteem. Mm. Um, I've heard the ego described as a, a man-made or a mental-made s- sense of self, you mm. know, and it does seem to go w- with like, big egos with self-esteem. Mm. Um, you, what, what, what is the ego to you? My ego, you know, thinks that I should be England manager, and uh, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm yeah. brilliant. It's the I am. I, I am. Yeah. It's me. It's you know, it's uh, I'm this. I'm that. I'm, I'm everything. Yeah. The journey to the self is 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 it's difficult because I think every human being's got a ego. Yeah. To degrees. Yeah. Uh, I think we all like to be liked. What is different for me today is that I tried to do to get self-esteem, to get self-respect. You have to do respectful stuff. You have to be do esteemable stuff. So that's what I tend to try to do today. Yeah. You know, and if I'm living on the self, it's like I'm going to get the next job for billions of pounds because that's what will fix me. That's what I mean. And all of a sudden, it's you know, free will run right. You know, ego's gone out of control. You know, I'm the, you know, why am I not running BBC? You know, my self-esteem says that I can do it if I think I can put my name to it. I can do this job and I'm pretty good at it and I give everything and it's good enough for me. Yeah. You know, so the self-esteem kind of goes up and we, we get – there's another lovely thing that builds self-esteem is to do something for someone else without anybody getting to know. Uh, and it's really feel it feeds the soul, yeah. you know. And the more of those things you do, I, I, I haven't done it for a while, but I, you know, I, I, I draw pictures and stuff. When I was in Chelsea Prison, I used to draw um, cartoon characters for the kids and stuff. But I, I sit there, and it's good for me, you know. It's really good for me. And I'm not the best drawer in the world. I'm not the worst, but I enjoy it, and it's great, and it's just for me. And I think those things people don't do in their life. They're so busy running here, running there, doing this, doing that, doing that, and they forget forget about them yeah. the soul and the yeah. true person that they are you know in those yeah. moments we need it you know smell the roses pal yeah absolutely jumping off point yeah, I just want to touch on this you know you talked about this this kind of this moment of realising that you had where you realised you know your life was unmanageable basically and, and that you know the, the booze had defeated you and you know it was either it was kind of do or die how does someone get to that point <laughs> really like, and I'm not talking necessarily about you because I'm interested because you're lucky to get to that point in a way aren't you you know you know Lucky and a lot that of people I don't got out the other side yeah i crossed the line and couldn't get back yeah you know for, like i say for 12 years i, I drank 11 and a half of those i didn't want yeah. to stop no point the intensive care the uh, weighing myself the blackouts i go over it you know chelmsford prison i didn't mm. want to stop i want the consequences to stop i didn't want to stop i didn't want to give, give up alcohol you know it wasn't on the equation um and then a series of events happened that pushed me over the line and I realised that I couldn't get back. Um, 
and that is the most terrifying place that anybody's ever been and and that's what we've all got the same connection with the other people in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous that have all been to the same place we've all been to the same we've all been to that bottom yeah. and got out and that's why we're all dancing on the ceilings because we're, we're great yeah. um, the and that- I have to be careful because this becomes ego all of a sudden I'm, I'm sharing this stuff yeah. uh, but I took six weeks into my recovery the, the the decision to go public with this because I thought um, that I needed to I, w- I knew this was for life a day at a time and I thought it would do a hell of a lot of people good um to show how i changed you talk very interestingly about three ways that people deny addiction when they're in the throes of it when they haven't reached the jumping off point denial minimization justification right Mm. so let's let's just have a little bit of a chat about i don't think i've said that today you must have researched that tony listen you're tony adams i'm not going to listen well denial is denial's not i've not got a problem yeah you know justification for me was you know you'd drink if if you had a life like mine you know Mm. um my wife gee you know she's addicted to cocaine oh my god you you go and drink minimization i don't i don't drink as much as him Mm. you know i mean he's at the the pub every night you know what i mean so we're talking about effect then because it affected me differently with that guy (laughs) but i put me oh not as bad as him so minimization you're talking now leading you on to the question before last is regarding the people that haven't got to the bottom yeah and there's more and more you know, people now that are actually going oh i can recognize the actual car crash down the road there and you know we talk about a lift going down to the bottom you can get off at any floor you want to okay you know i went into therapy first i didn't go to a treatment center i don't think i to be honest with you because i put my first wife into treatment it was failure in my i'd rather have killed myself than gone into treatment such was my really? head where That's it was where you, you know what i mean it's like a defeat you know i'm not going, no, i'm not that bad yeah. I'm, I'm actually drinking myself to death but it's not that bad to go to treatment it's absolutely bonkers because it's the one place that i needed but she needs it because she's worse than me you know and it propped me up at least i'm not as bad as you mm. so You've you've touched on something earlier about you know, I think you said something along the lines of you know I can only help myself. What what about those of us who know someone who who is clearly an addict, hmm. but is stuck in the throes of you know denial, minimization, or justification? Yeah. Be very careful how you deal with it. Yeah, don't buy into the chaos. You know you have to try and detach with love. You know, and what my mother-in-law did to me, she gave me a number of the therapists and said, there you go, give them a call. And but did, she, away. did she demand? Or she no, just, she, she just slipped said- it in. She actually was very clever, actually, because she said, to understand what your wife's going through, <laughs> then it's not about me then. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> if it was about me, then I probably wouldn't yeah. have gone. But I'm going to this therapist to find out what my wife's going through in, in treatment. Yeah. So that's fine with me. And then I got there and I said, I know how to get drunk and I had to play football, but I don't know who I am. And 23 years later, I'm still speaking to the same guy. So tread carefully, though. With So if, yeah. if you know they have to reach a, a point, do they, that you know, you can't really you, do anything for them? Really? They have to make the call. You know, you, you can call the 
you know, if you're a sports person, um, you can call Emily's there at the moment. She's there. She'll take the call from a family member. But sooner or later, she'll say to them, you've got to get the person to call us at the end of the day and we can take it from there. And the journey begins. Now, it might be just the person rings up and goes, yeah, 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 okay, right, fine. You know, no more. Um, Or we'll arrange a face-to-face. We'll arrange a face-to-face meeting, get together. Um, and that might be enough as well. And then he goes, well, actually, should we do a, you know, couple of weeks, six weeks on the trot of one-to-one therapy with you? You know, do you want to talk about your stuff? Yeah. You know, it might be at a stage where he goes, actually, I need detox. I'm at the game, mate. I'm yeah. I, I as a kite. I need detox. I need treatment. I, yeah. It's the only way for me. I've tried this, tried that. And we've got the clinic for him also. So yeah, yeah. Um, we've got all parts of it. You have to be very careful. I, I get this a lot. Yeah. And we always, I, I say to the people, because they're usually at that stage bought into the madness and they become part of the problem. You know, the family members, the aunts, the uncles, the dads, the sons, the mums, you know, the child of alcoholics, you know, these kind of people, they're all like, ah! and I always say, get therapy yourself. If you want to know, go to Al-Anon, you know, talk to the therapist. There's family clinics. You know, we do we do family clinics. There's, understand it. If you want to understand about the person, go and get your own therapy. Therapy, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it has huge value. But there are a lot of people still. There are some people, Tony, who still, I think, have a sort of judgment about it. Do, do you think Listen, there is I, anyone who wouldn't benefit from therapy? No, it, it comes in all disguises. You know, it... it it can be your mate. Most people have got fantastic families. You know, I'm one of those now. They've got a fantastic... We all talk about our stuff today. You know, yeah. nothing's hidden. If there's a problem at school with one of the kids, he comes home and tells us and we talk about it and we and we, and we we deal with it. And he, he sometimes has to do the consequences of that, you know. And yeah. we, it's all above board. It's nothing hidden. Nothing's going down. You're not acting out. You're not running to the pub. You're not doing this. And a lot of people have got safe places to share a lot of people got really good friends um, families people that they open up to and you know I I still say to my I say therapist I call it what you want he's me mate you know he's me mate that's a bit further down the line than me and has had more sober experience more life experience than me it's interesting, I think, though, that sort of that some people have judgments about therapy. But what so what you're mm. saying is it's a, it's about being open, vulnerable, and communicating with with people. That's one of the most important things because it all relates, doesn't it? Ang- anxiety and depression go hand in hand with, with addiction. I've never experienced one on my own. I've been depressed, but I've always had anxieties. The anxiety leads to the depression. You know, I've it's been you know I was in China. I was working too hard. Nineteen years without a drink, without with no family, very low. Lonely, very depressed, and I should, I should, I should be better than this. I know all this stuff, you know. I, I went for a very, very dark point, mm. and then I went, "Oh, that's enough," you know. I, I flew home, got to some meetings, went to flew to Shanghai, flew to Beijing, got to some meetings, spoke to my, my seventy-five-year-old therapist who can't work Skype. Was quite an interesting. Made me more agi- agitated, to be honest. <laughs> you go, I'm sorry. And I go, ah, yeah. I just want to talk to someone. I need to talk yeah. to someone. And he said, easy does it. What are you doing? Why yeah. are you in China? What are you doing? Yeah. You know, you're putting money in front of your family, in front of your serenity. And my experience, if I put anything 
in front of my recovery, I lose. Yeah. I so, lose. Uh, it's another way of putting that. If people put anything in front of what's in their own best interest, their own well-being, then they lose. Is that, yeah. is that a fair way of putting it? For you know, I think so. And it's a massive conversation at the moment with mental health. You know, it's everywhere. To be honest oh, with you, and people might be getting sick of it. But it's great. I think it's great that people are starting to say about this stuff. My mum used to go to the doctor and bore him with it. The breakdown maybe of that relationship and, and the church. And a lot of people used to go to church yeah. and, 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 and talk. That's kind of broke down. And I see very much the therapist as the new doctor or vicar. You know what I mean? It's like a, someone that you can go to. Just the process of opening up in a safe place, you know, just frees you with all this stuff. I know what my solutions are. And, and it's, it's pretty much, like I say, to not listen <laughs> uh, and act on my thoughts and feelings and just to be with them and it's about not acting on your thoughts and feelings yeah, okay. and changing the way that you feel yeah you know because we can we can swap poisons as well you know we can put the booze down and pick up gambling you know and we can we can swap the poisons work or sex or porn or gaming they're all gaming today and you know the uh, internet explosion in the last 10 years is it's uh it's an addiction. Really? You know, we do four boxes in the education department and we do a box at the start um, and we're all on that. We've all been at some stage a don't use. You know, didn't use drink, didn't use drugs, didn't use women, didn't use media phones before it was invented, <laughs> didn't use. And then we go round the boxes. Are we take it or leave it? Are we take it but sometimes lose control and then you go to the last box, which is where I ended up totally uh, and then at that point it's usually you can't go back round the boxes you either get treatment or you really? intensive care or you and that's that jumping mate. point which is the split in the road like you do go or die round. so we talk about your relationship with whatever it is and what is your relation just take one minute if I can do anything for this podcast or anything for the people out there in a the moment just take one minute sit, we, sit down and just look at your relationships with Everything with everybody, people, places, things, situations. What is your relationship with all those things? Yeah, you know, just have a little think about it. You know, it's no, no judgment. You know, it's just a little bit of a reflection period. If everyone takes their time, say, so, oh, actually, my God, you know, I keep ringing my this girl up every single and every minute. I, I think I'm actually doing it a bit too much. Or you know, I'm, I'm, Instagram every single yeah. day. It's a compulsion. Screen time. Six step. My my son, fifteen year old son, six hours of screen time. You know, we found a great tool that you can actually limit it. But even he, he didn't realise that he'd been on it for six hours. And he's like, oh yeah, my God. It's great, you know. He loves yeah. it, you know. Yeah. But he's like, okay, so let's have a look at, you know, what do you think? What do you think you should be doing? How many hours do you think you should be on on it a day? Yeah, you know, just get the conversation going again. Yeah, you know, because that affects his mental health. Of course, that yeah. would affect his emotional health. Yeah. So that's all we we talk about, and we get it into the consciousness. We talk about this stuff. And uh, hopefully we make the world a better place. Uh, we, we've <laughs> spoken a lot about parenting and, you know, like you're obviously an incredibly proud, proud parent. You were very close to your parents. But, you, I mean, you've spoken about them as, as being addicts. I think your dad was a smoker. Your mum uh, was a big foodie. And then your wife, you know, having this, uh, what you saw as idyllic family life. Uh, to what degree do you think then that, you know, her having that, "Quote unquote idyllic family life, emotionally open family life, and and you not having that, 
and having no guidance through thoughts and feelings. Uh, to what degree is that? Do you think that's played into the fact that you have struggled with addiction and she doesn't? I think there's definitely education. They're much more educated. Whiskey, heiress, you know, teacher, yeah, no, no. teacher, whiskies. Yeah. So they've had a lot of conversations around the way that alcohol changes people. You know, I'll even Arsene Wenger, you know, when I I was six weeks clean and sober when Arsene walked in the club and he said, uh, oh, my mum and dad uh, owned a pub in Strasbourg and I saw the way that alcohol changed people. So he had a little bit of an understanding, not an and empathy, but, but a sympathy for the kind of per, well, the, yeah, the drug, as it were. That's interesting. So the, the, definitely the teacher family had been a lot more educated around, you know, and don't get me wrong, you know, it was maybe because I was so closed that their family may have been quite normal <laughs> you know but it's just the fact because I was so close and all of a sudden I've opened up and I'm seeing different things yeah uh it, it was quite amazing that they were all talking to each other and all yeah you know I, I, that was never my experience but I know now that a lot of people do actually yeah. a lot of people are out there kind of speaking to each other and, and talking about their mental health and, and um but at that point i was so close and i was so it was such a rare thing that it became very attracted uh, attractive for me um and she's so why is she not using and not drinking and not like 90 percent of the, the population i don't think she's got the genetic makeup i don't think she's had trauma as a kid i don't think her peers were addicts i don't think i think she went back to a postcode i think all the people around her were great sociologists she had friends she had stable relationships she had a balanced uh mentally emotionally um persona life happens doesn't it you know but she reacts normally when her dad died you see she cried you know and i when my dad died i kind of bottled it up for about 18 months and then cried you know what I mean? it's a different way of dealing with stuff mm. you know when she's ang angry she appropriately tells me you know mm. she doesn't shove it away like i would do for about six months and then explode yeah. you know uh, i'm really annoyed with you you were annoyed with me six months ago. You know what yeah, I mean? He's yeah. just come out. You know what? And she says, oh, no, that is unacceptable. What you did to me, that was unacceptable. Don't do that again. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I go to into a three-year-old all of a sudden because that's what I am, an emotional little boy, and go, oh, yeah. But then day by day, I've kind of grown and, and we're at a position now where she even said to me this morning, I'd like to get your advice on this one. My God. You know, me. Hey, that's, me, a, that's progress. My there God. That's a sign post. My advice. My God. You talk about the three year old part of you, and I've spoke, you've spoken about, um, you know, the, the little Tony and how it's important to have compassion and respect and kindness for that little boy that, that's still in you. And, it, and it, we've all got that sensitive part within us. How important is, is self-care and looking after that little boy? And don't take yourself so serious. You know, we, we sometimes I, I have been quite painful myself. You know, I like putting myself on the cross and saying I'm a really bad, you know, that goes with the self-destruction button that I had years and years ago. Um, the self-loathing and, you know, you're a piece of, poo and um so i give myself a break today you know and uh i quite like myself today Oof, that was odd um and it's all yeah and i do nurture the little boy inside of me and and 
look after him. And uh, I think it's important that I, I said earlier about the the things that just for you. I think that that's really important. If you, I don't know what you like. I like walking. Um, I like drawing. Um, I like doing service. You know, uh, reaching out other people. So those things are all looking after the little Tony, call it what you want. Sometimes I'm negative, sometimes I'm positive. I accept the way that I am. Acceptance yeah. is the key. Acceptance, yeah. Acceptance is the key. Whatever I'm thinking and feeling, I just accept it. And right. I can be resentful like the next man. I can be really jealous, angry. I can be, you know, you name yeah, it. Yeah. I, I, I'm a human being. Uh, I'm not perfect. Um but I like I say, I just accept it, and uh, I don't, actually don't do nothing with it. It it, it passes. Yeah, I've noticed. So it's acceptance of of whatever you're feeling. Turn it all over, mate. Into, Throw into, it all out the window. Yeah. It's the surrender to the higher power, which is that that step, isn't it? It's so, difficult to understand. I can, you know, I I wrestled with it when I came into AA. Step one and step two is the coming to believe, and uh, I was like, my God, what is all this about? You know, for the drunk. You know, step one sometimes is enough, but then, then this kind of concept of a God of your understanding and you're like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, I don't know what is going on. And I remember walking over Hampton, uh, Putney Heath where I used to live going, please, I need to get, they've told me I need a, a higher power of some sort and I'll drink again if I don't get one. And, you know, what, what's going to happen here? And you know what? There's so many paradoxical uh, paradoxes in, in, in recovery and in, in the 12 steps. And the minute that I let go of that, I found it. Right. And it's really, it's like the reverse flow of the world. The more you grab onto something, it just slips through your fingers. Yeah. You know, and the, the more you let go, it comes to you. You know, it, it's the unwritten, is a great existential therapist called Alan Watts. I know, Alan. You, Fan of Alan. <laughs> hey, I'd say what he said. Wisdom of insecurity. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, there you go, my God. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, he talks about the, the, the reverse flow of the world. And the, I was grabbing it. It doesn't matter what I, I realise. It doesn't matter what my higher power was. It's like a, I've gone over old stuff, but as long as it's not me, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah. and we just get it over to something, something else, yeah. you know. And I've got a point of reference. I've got a, a mate that I talk to that I share stuff with. I don't keep it in anymore. And I've got a, a loads of... Lo millions of recovering addicts that I go and connect with yeah. that have been to the same place I've got and a lot of us don't we don't act anymore we don't get drunk anymore it's yeah. so bizarre so to sum up then, then Tony, <laughs> let, let's you know someone listening who perhaps has thought okay you know maybe I am denying minimising whatever what would your advice to to someone who is who is struggling who's reaching that fork in the road who's going down the lift that you spoke about what would your advice to them be well i didn't get i say this all the time i didn't get into ia because i had a bad weekend i had a bad decade with this drug you know and and the consequences were just adding up and up and up and up and if anyone's actually in that place and even the slightest think thinking of it <laughs> make the call go to a meeting go to a meeting Check it out, because they're obviously are. If they're going to be listening or intrigued by what I'm saying, or or they must be a little bit going, mm, actually. And if it's resonated in them, they're going, oh, oh, oh I might, oh, just go go to a meeting. There's yeah. millions all around the world, yeah, all around the world. Just check it out, you know. 
what, what, what's the harm? Yeah. You know, you can stay where you are otherwise. And then for someone who's seeing someone they love and it's clear to everyone but them that they have an addiction, what, what, what would be, you know, in a nutshell, your advice there? They need to detach with love. I'll say it again, detach with love. Maybe give them a number of a AA, GA, whatever their poison is. Um, if they want to, if they're a sports person, yeah. retired or professional retired, they can ring our 24 or 7 helpline. You know, there's Mind, who's a very good um, charity that, that, that take calls as well, but primarily the person's got to give them a call. Create boundaries. You don't enable them. You don't enable them. You don't, if they ring up and they want 100 grand because they want to, you know, get the, pay their dealer or their gambler off, it's actually no, yeah. you know? And that comes with real pain because the person's going, oh, I can just give him it. What's wrong with you? Don't you love him? No, you love him if you detach and put boundaries up and enable him. Go and get help. Don't enable him. Don't give him the money. He'll stay sick. He'll yeah. stay sick, you know? Tony Adams, uh, a privilege to meet you and to have you on Don't Turn With The Score. You know, you've had a, a rich and storied life. You've achieved a lot. You've helped a lot of people. Is there anything, you know, you, you'd like to say before we, before we wrap up? I think I've said enough. I think you probably have, Tony, I'm not going to lie. All right, Tone, <laughs> pleasure. Speak soon. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of Don't Turn With The Score. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and I would, of course, be delighted to hear your thoughts, ideas and questions. Do get in touch via my website, simonmundy.com. I do really appreciate you listening and if you could leave a kind rating and review, I would be sincerely grateful. All that remains is for me to say I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.